Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, in the 1990s and early 2000s, radio preacher Harold Camping wrongly predicted the return of Jesus. The ministry he founded has spent the last decade trying to recover from those false prophecies. We'll have an update. And the Department of Justice has launched an investigation into the Southern Baptist Convention. We'll have the latest on that story, too. We begin today with a lawsuit against Hillsong Church by one of its key employees. The lawsuit says the church misled donors and evaded taxes. Yeah, that employee is Natalie Moses. She's the former fundraising and governance coordinator for Hillsong Church, and she's alleging in a lawsuit that the church misled donors, misappropriated funds, and, as you said, Natasha, evaded taxes. The Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission launched an investigation into Hillsong Church back in March to examine its compliance with regulations as a registered charity, and that investigation came to light, though, just this week when it was revealed in the court documents of Moses' fair work lawsuit against the church. Moses is claiming that the church mistreated her for bringing up concerns regarding its financial dealings. Moses was employed by the church in March 2020 to oversee compliance of global Hillsong entities with Australian nonprofit tax laws. Her lawsuit claims the church repeatedly breached those laws, particularly when it came to transferring Australian funds overseas for various projects. Moses also alleged that Hillsong has engaged in questionable practices when it comes to expenditures for church leaders, including some conflicts of interest. According to Moses, Hillsong artists are classified as pastors, receiving half of their salaries tax-free while still earning millions of dollars in royalties for record sales and other residuals related to the Hillsong music label. Moses further claims that Hillsong leaders misappropriated tax-free money as large cash gifts for Hillsong founder and former global senior pastor Brian Houston. Yeah, now Houston, you may remember, resigned in disgrace from Hillsong uh, back in March of 2022, earlier this year, following scandals involving drug use, alcohol, and sexual impropriety as well. Moses said she had repeatedly raised concerns about the ethics and legality of Hillsong's financial dealings with the church's financial officer, Peter Ridley, but she was consistently rebuffed. Moses said Ridley was dismissed of her objections and grew frustrated with her, and she was eventually forced out of her job. Yeah, and that's what motivated the Fair Work lawsuit. Moses' Fair Work case will be heard in federal court later this year. Hillsong Church has not filed a response to Moses' claims yet in federal court. Our next story involves another investigation— Federal officials have begun an investigation into sexual abuse in the nation's largest Protestant denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, officials announced Friday. Yeah, the... 
spokesman for the SBC's executive committee's lawyers said that the committee had received a subpoena, but no individuals have been subpoenaed at this point. Uh, Southern Baptist leaders pledged to cooperate fully with investigators who will be looking into several SBC entities, according to a statement released by the SBC on Friday. At their annual meeting in June, Southern Baptists approve a series of reforms to address abuse, including setting up a website to track abusive pastors. Now, the Department of Justice's Middle District of Tennessee office, which is the office in charge of this investigation, remember the SBC is headquartered in Nashville, did not respond to a request for comment. Most of the time, that's normally the case in situations like this where they won't comment on an ongoing investigation. Warren, let's look at one more story before the break. It's a story of Bruxley Cavey, who was forced to step down from his Toronto megachurch, The Meeting House, after admitting to a years-long sexual relationship with a member of his church. Yeah, now some of Bruxley Cavey's supporters had said that his wrongdoing was mischaracterized. They said that yeah, maybe it was sexual impropriety, but it was not sexual abuse. They said it instead that it was a consensual affair. But the latest set of church investigations may put that argument to rest. In an email sent to church members on Saturday, August 13th, the Meeting House leadership said that the recent independent investigations had found two additional claims of sexual abuse against KV to be credible. Yeah, it also found a fourth claim, which did amount to sexual misconduct and not sexual abuse. In addition, though, the church acknowledged that one of the victims was a minor when KV abused her. Uh, For the first time, the church's overseers or board of trustees said that KV's behavior in three of these cases did, in fact, amount to sexual abuse, not merely sexual harassment or abuse of power, as they had previously maintained. The outside investigator hired by the church also found that another former pastor of the meeting house, Tim Day, had committed sexual abuse. Yeah, KV grew the meeting house into a mega church with about 5,000 people attending, and at one time they had 19 campuses, though since all of these controversies, they've kind of scaled back. Now they're on about 14 campuses. KV had long hair, tattoos, and a folksy demeanor, and he became one of Canada's best-known evangelical preachers. Last year, a woman came forward to accuse him of sexual abuse, and he was asked to resign in March. In May, police in the Canadian city of Hamilton charged Cavey with one count of level one sexual assault, which involves minor physical injuries or no injuries to the victim. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, pregnancy resource centers are under attack, and we'll have a closer look. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back with that story and much more after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Next up, the story we promised before the break. Now, Warren, we've been reporting for a couple of months about individual pregnancy resource centers getting vandalized, but new reporting suggests that the violence is not isolated. Yeah, that new reporting is from Kim Roberts, our Texas-based reporter, and we're grateful for her story. And what she found out is that since uh, the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision was leaked in May, followed by the official opinion in June overturning Roe v. Wade, pro-life pregnancy centers have been the victims of numerous attacks. It's hard to quantify the exact monetary cost to pregnancy centers, but CareNet estimates that over $400,000 worth of damage has been done to about 18 centers that are in the CareNet network since these uh vandalisms started happening back in May. At least one center in Colorado was firebombed and completely destroyed. That, according to CareNet President Roland Warren. Oregon and Washington have been the hot spots, but attacks have taken place all over the country. Yeah, for example, in June, uh, an organization called Compass Care, which is near Buffalo, New York, was firebombed and vandalized. Uh, the damage included broken windows, a burned office, and spray-painted messages on the property. Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, formerly known as the Susan B. Anthony List, has compiled a list of attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers and places of worship since the Dobbs opinion was leaked in May. And that's where we got that number 18 that have reported so far that they've been vandalized in some way. Many of the attacks were orchestrated by a group that calls itself Jane's Revenge. In addition to the cost of repairs, PRCs are also incurring costs for increased security. Well, that's right. In fact, the $400,000 that I mentioned a few moments ago is just the hard cost of repairing the damage that's already been done. But a number of PRCs have had to spend money enhancing security through technology. Some have spent money on training and awareness building with their staff. CareNet encourages pregnancy centers to partner with local law enforcement and ask for increased patrols near their pregnancy resource centers as well. Well, next up, we remember Friedrich Beekner. Yeah, Friedrich Beekner died peacefully in his sleep on Monday, August 15th, at age 96, according to his family. He was born Carl Friedrich Beekner on July 11, 1926. In New York City, he moved frequently with his family in his childhood as his father searched for work, was not raised in the church at all, and they finally ended up settling in Bermuda um, after his father's death by suicide when Beekner was was just 10 years old. His studies at Princeton University were interrupted by World War II, but he completed his bachelor's degree in English in 1948. 
Yeah, and he quickly achieved fame just a couple of years later with the 1950 publication of his first novel, A Long Day's Dying. Uh, It received critical acclaim and was a bestseller for a while. It was in New York City that he had an experience, though, that changed his life and his work. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, he had not been raised in the church, but he started attending Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, mainly because it was just right next door to where he lived, and he said later that he had nothing else to do on Sundays. Buechner eventually got a seminary degree and was ordained in the Presbyterian Church, but he continued his career as a writer. Yeah, and among his novels, Lion Country was a finalist for the 1972 National Book Award, and Godric may be his best-known novel. It was a finalist for the 1981 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. He also published a short story, The Tiger, in the New Yorker magazine that was one of the award winners in 1955 for an O. Henry Short Story Award. Bigner split his time later in life between Vermont and Florida, and he survived by his wife Judith, three daughters, a son-in-law, and ten grandchildren. Warren, before we go to our next break, what's the latest on the slow-moving split in the United Methodist Church? Yeah, we have had a significant new development uh, within the past week. Uh, The Wesleyan Covenant Association, which is kind of gathering together all of the conservative uh, formerly United Methodist congregations, uh, issued a statement encouraging like-minded churches to stop paying dues or apportionments to the regional conferences of the United Methodist Church um, because it believes that these regional, some of these regional conferences are making disaffiliation from the UMC difficult. Uh, Jay Farrell is the president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, WCA. He said that as long as a church continues to send money to the people who are holding them captive and not allowing them to disaffiliate under fair terms, then they're actually funding the misbehavior. And he said it's time for that to stop. The WCA is targeting 19 of the denomination's 53 annual conferences. Yeah, the WCA says that these particular 19 are adding onerous and punitive requirements, again, I'm reading from the statement there, to the disaffiliation process uh, that are over and above what are specified in the denomination's rule book, which is called the Book of Discipline. In addition to the call to withhold apportionments, more than 100 churches are suing the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church to immediately disaffiliate from the denomination. And 31 churches here in North Carolina recently hired a lawyer to pursue their options also for an immediate departure for the UMC. We're going to take another break. When we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, we have news from the King's College in New York. Tim Gibson has stepped down as president of the King's College in New York City and has been replaced by Stockwell Day, the chairman of the school's board of trustees, on an interim basis while the college searches for a new leader. Neither the school nor Gibson gave a reason for his departure, which was announced in a mass email August 11th, according to the King's College student newspaper, the Empire State Tribune. Yeah, and Natasha, I should probably pause here and make a couple of disclosures, one of which is that my son, Walker, is a graduate of the King's College, and I worked at the King's College about 10 years ago, so I do have some association there. And the president, Tim Gibson, or now I should say former president, is uh, also someone that I've interviewed on my Listening In podcast, and uh, as a result of that uh interview, got to know him a bit, and we've become uh, friends over the last few years. So again, with those disclosures, so I do want to add this, that Tim Gibson is a former Brigadier General. That's two stars for those of you who are keeping score at home in the uh, in the United States Air Force. He was named the seventh president of the King's College in 2018. Uh, he had retired from the Air Force in 2016 to become executive vice president of the school and serve as director of the Center for Leadership Development. In December of 2017, he became the college's acting president. Our next story is about the death of a pastor who has been in the news because of his flamboyant behavior. Yeah, the pastor's name is Jeff Jansen, and uh, as recently as May of 2021, he was still claiming that he thought God would take action to reinstall Donald Trump as president. Uh, that uh, pronouncement made national news at the time. He sudden, has died suddenly, unexpectedly, within the last week. Uh, Global Fire Ministries and Global Fire Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is just outside of Nashville, um, made an announcement on the church. Website. Jansen and his wife Jan were married for more than 25 years and had eight children and 18 grandchildren. Yeah, but Jansen was asked to step down from Global Fire Ministries and Global Fire Church last year because of what the church called unscriptural and unbiblical uh, behavior, saying that he had made an intentional decision to leave his wife Jan and family and pursue his own desires. And we have a story about the Unification Church's association with evangelical leaders. Yeah, the Unification Church recently held a, an international conference uh, in Korea. It's called the Universal uh Peace Conference uh, put on by the Universal Peace Federation, and Pastor Paula White Kane, who had been a spiritual advisor to former President Trump, an author and prominent speaker, uh, was joined by other prominent Christian leaders, many of them formerly from the Trump administration, to speak at that conference. 
The Universal Peace Federation is an organization funded and founded by the Unification Church, a Korean religious group that claims Christ's messianic mission was incomplete until completed by the church founder, Reverend Sun Moon Moon. Yeah, and Moon died back in 2012, but the summit featured tributes to his wife, Hak Jahan Moon, who is called the Unification Church's true mother. The summit it also featured a religious ceremony celebrating the 10th anniversary of what they call the Holy Ascension of Reverend Sun Young Moon. Among the leaders, in addition to Paula White Kane, who were at that event, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. A major Christian media organization is moving to Nashville. What are the details? Well, you may remember that uh, back in the 1990s and early 2000s, Family Radio had was in the news because its founder, Harold Camping, repeatedly and incorrectly predicted that Jesus would return and the world would end. Camping died in 2013, and the ministry has since renounced Camping's teaching, but it's had a hard time shedding its old image. It recently took steps to leave the past behind in a very tangible way, selling its California headquarters for $48 million. The ministry is now in the process of making a move to Nashville, Tennessee, where a lot of evangelical media ministries uh, have set up shop in recent years. It says that the high cost of living in California and the competitiveness of labor in the Bay Area, they're which is where uh, Family Radio had been headquartered, uh, were factors in making this decision to move to Nashville. Family Radio says that it will take advantage of the greater availability of production resources, and that means, at least in part, people uh, in the Nashville area. So is Family Radio a ministry that has put its questionable past behind it? Well, I think it's certainly uh, done a lot to put uh, Harold Camping's um, heretical teachings behind them. I mean, they've affirmed a biblical statement of faith. Uh, in the Ministry Watch 1000 database, Family Radio receives a donor confidence score of 60, which is not great. It means give, but with caution. You should ask some tough questions. It gets a transparency grade of C because it does not belong to the Evangelical Council for Financial Accounting though it does file a Form 990 and makes audited financial statements available to the public on its website. So while the ministry is moving in the right direction, uh, I would say it still has a ways to go to earn a Give With Confidence score from us. Who did we highlight in Ministries Making a Difference this week? Well, a couple of ministries um, that are actually pretty well known. One is Convoy of Hope. They're partnering with the Assembly of God churches in eastern Tennessee to distribute more than 300,000 pounds of relief supplies to victims of storms that uh, caused severe flooding in Kentucky in late July. Uh, flooding remains a threat in that part of the world, uh, Con Convoy of Hope. I should add, has four stars and an A transparency grade from a ministry watch and a donor confidence score of 75, which does mean, in fact, give with confidence. Another ministry, Child Evangelism Fellowship, has shifted its focus in Mexico from training churches to reach local people in their homes to supporting the children of migrant families traveling through the area in caravans. Trained workers share the gospel, 
treat travel-related wounds, provide clean socks, and feed the children. Child Evangelism Fellowship is, uh, has two stars in terms of financial efficiency, but it does have an A transparency grade and a donor confidence score of 95, which is one of our top ratings. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a reminder that if you make a donation to Ministry Watch during the month of August, you'll receive a free one-year subscription to World Magazine. We made this offer last year and got a great response, uh, but I know that we have a lot of people listening to the podcast now that weren't with us a year ago because we've nearly doubled in size in the past year. So if you're new, this is a fantastic opportunity to pick up a subscription to World and support Ministry Watch at the same time. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Shannon Cuthrill, Ann Steich, Emily McFarlane Miller, Kim Roberts, Yunat Shimron, Bob Smetanya, Dale Chamberlain, Christina Darnell, and Steve Raby. Special thanks to church leaders for contributing materials to this week's podcast. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.